was the first person out of my family, my mom, my dad, my grandparents, to go to college. The courage that it took for you to overcome everything it took to overcome to walk across that stage, I get chills still to this day. Welcome to Gumption, Grit, and Grace. My name is Brandon Dennison. I'm founder and CEO of Coalfield Development and also your podcast host. This week, we're going to hear more about our very humble beginnings as an organization. We're going to continue with content that we shared at our 10-year anniversary, although this is the longer form with some more fun stories added in than what we had time for at the 10-year celebration. We're going to hear from Coalfield Development's first ever champion, Josh Napper. To some of you, that might look like Josh Napier, but Josh is very clear the pronunciation is Napper. Don't get it wrong. Uh, Larry Endicott, who is our our first crew chief, and Chase Thomas, who helped co-found the organization with me uh, and was our first ever chief operations officer. Hope you enjoy. Well, thank you for joining us. We have here the original Coalfield Development Work Crew. Coalfield was started in 2010. It took us two years to raise enough money to really move into action. And in the spring of 2012, uh, my best friend from high school, Chase Thomas, came on board and we started recruiting for the first crew. And we have with us today our first ever Coalfield champion, Josh Knapper, our first Coalfield crew chief, who's Larry Endicott, who we call Duda. And our founding Coalfield crew chief, who became the chief operations officer, Chase Thomas. Thank you all for taking the time to reflect and look back, and I think this will be fun. So no, let's be. go back to orientation. That was spring of 2012. I think it was March or April. March 15th, to be exact. You would know. <laughs> so Josh, tell me about that day. I'll, I'll briefly say from my perspective, I was actually upset because you were late. <laughs> and it wasn't, I, did, I felt like we were not getting off to a good start. But in fact, you had a really good reason for being late. Yeah, uh, so... I was hired. Start date was March 15th, 2012. I woke up late that morning. I called Brandon. I was like, well, I, tr- I tried to call him. He hadn't answered his phone. So I got there and I was like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes late. And Brandon's like, hey, man, you know, it's not really a good start. And I was like, man, it's not my fault. It's like, listen, I was expecting a child, but I wasn't expecting her this day. So my daughter was born 14 weeks early on March 15th of 2012. Uh, she was born at uh, 1.55 in the morning. So I was up all night preparing for a child and a new job. And then my tone changed. And I was like, <laughs> Completely. wow, what are you doing here? You know, you should be yeah. at the hospital. And yeah, like, he, literally, I got this big lecture about why I shouldn't be there. Why, you know, I can, I can go on about orientation another day that I need to get back to the hospital with my child. And uh, I just decided to work things around everything. So I stayed and worked out the day and the rest of the week from then on. You went on to become the first champion. I'll never forget when I said, I was like, well, what are you doing here? You should be at the hospital. And you said, I just really need this opportunity. And you were determined to make the most of it. So tell us a little bit about you know, your life before you came to Coalfield Development. And then at the end of this, we'll talk about your life post-Coalfield. Right. Well, b- before Coalfield, I mean, I, I graduated high school uh, uh, in 2011. I hadn't really had any steady job. I was uh, I was carpentry major in high school and uh, it's hard to find work. I went and applied for coal mines, got my underground mining certification. The mines started shutting down, couldn't find anything. So I was working fast food jobs, trying to make ends meet, found out I had a kid on the way and uh, just tried my best to find something that was steady, something that I could make a career out of, you know, something that I could take with me and learn from and further my, my skills and get something better in life. I was taken away from my parents twice as a kid because of drugs. I lived in several different homes. I wanted to be better for my family than I was, than my family was for me. So I worked from there to do that. And um, we approached you with this idea of we want to hire people to work on the job, but also to enroll in community college. So it's more than just a job. It's really an opportunity, just like you said, to, to become the best version of ourselves and to take care of our families. Chase, when you think about orientation, how do you remember that day? 
I remember it real similar. I mean, the quote that we keep talking about sticks in my mind about how, you know, Josh showed up late and you were out of breath. And after, you know, we found out that your child was being born that night that both Brandon and I just flipped to say, you know, hey, we're, we're going to extend the grace that these are the things that you can take care of, even though it's day one and it, it hit us right there. But that you just said, you know, I, I really need this opportunity. You know, there wasn't going to be anything that, you know, was going to stand in the way for, for you to continue in with, with what you thought was a great opportunity. So that, that, that's just what sticks in my mind. So Kylie came eight weeks early, 14 weeks, 14, 14 weeks early. Weeks early yep. And just so everybody knows is, is a healthy, happy girl. Yeah. Uh, she's uh today. Yeah. She was one pound, 14 ounces, dropped down to one pound, seven ounces, stayed in NICU for 75 days, brought her home on a heart monitor. And then three months later, she was off the heart monitor and doing just as well as any other baby would be. Tough girl. Yep. So Chase, our first job, we had this idea for Wayne County had a lot of empty buildings. Population had declined more buildings than there were people to live in them. And the buildings were an eyesore. They attracted you know, crime, drugs, sometimes even things like prostitution. So a lot of people wanted to get rid of these buildings, but it's actually pretty expensive to do. And our idea was we think there's valuable material in these buildings that can be resold, reused, recycled through a deconstruction program. So our first project was in the Spring Valley part of Wayne County to tear these buildings down, but not to do it with heavy equipment and waste it all in a landfill, but to really do it surgically and, and save what we could and try and generate some revenue. Pick up from there, we were using your personal truck. We had some quite a few hiccups on that first project. We learned a lot of things the hard way. First week was definitely a whirlwind for sure. So I think what we did is we had my truck. Uh, we had just recently bought a trailer because we realized we we're going to have to haul off a lot of these materials. So we had truck and trailer hooked up and had these three crew members with me that w- we planned on uh, storing the materials in the Erlings building, which was just a shell of a building at that time. So it was just being used as a storage facility. It, it hadn't got turned into a uh, into a construction project yet. So anyway, like we showed up to these 14 houses and basically just pick the first one where the keys worked, go into the house. And so Hugh Roberts had done a little bit of uh, demonstrations on some things that we could take cabinets, uh, how to preserve the materials and, and make sure that they're, they're good for use later. So we walk in this house and it wasn't quite up to the standards of the ones that we looked at with Q. So I just kind of like shrugged my shoulders a little bit. I was like, all right, guys, well, Q wanted us to get like door trim and doors. So let's get the door trim and doors and get the baseboard. So then these three guys just start with, with their new tools in hand and their new tool bags, just start hacking away at all this stuff. I mean, there was drywall everywhere. (laughs) There was, I mean, and that was the part of me that like, you know, Looking back on it as a as a young guy, I mean, deconstruction is like that's the fun part of it. Is just really taking a lot of just, aggression out, right? Just ripping everything apart. So I don't know why I was too shocked that that was happening at the time, but you know, because we were, I guess, because I was so focused on we were going in there to meticulously remove items that, that it it was just like a free for all. So you mentioned the truck. It was your truck. We did not have a company truck at that time, and okay. so. Uh, I remember some frustration of crew members not respecting <laughs> Chase Thomas's personal property. I, I don't think it was about. a matter of disrespecting it. I think it was a matter of like a challenge. It was a challenge. Yeah, there there was a challenge. So I think that can be summed up, I think, in one story. Yeah. And, uh, traveling back and forth between Spring Valley and Wayne was, it was what, like 30, 25, 30 minutes? Yeah. One way. We would 
sometimes stop to pick up some snacks, you know, if it was around lunchtime or whatnot. So on the way back, Mr. Josh Napper here got a two liter, two Mountain, liter Dew. Of Mountain Dew because I guess you're just really thirsty. The 20 ounce wasn't going to cut it. One of the other crew members, I think it was Harry. It was. And it was Andy and Harry both. Well, I know. I think Harry started it. It, it was. Then, Harry of course, Andy it. was right along with him and just said that he bet that he could not chug the whole Mountain Dew from Wayne back to Spring Valley. Here I am in my truck thinking... <laughs> Josh, don't do it. No, I, I wasn't thinking. I said, I said, Josh, don't do that. He was like, I can do it. I can do it. So you were back there drinking. I wasn't paying too much attention. Oh, no, I was no, in no, the front seat. Front seat. I was front in the seat. front seat. <laughs> you were in the front seat just drinking away. And I was like, Josh, you got to stop. 12 minutes it took me to drink it, by the way. <laughs> 12 minutes. So that's true. So you did finish it. But yeah, 12 so minutes. So I'm driving, focused on pulling the trailer. And all I see is just a <laughs> it just all comes back it all comes back to visit the truck and so the dashboard <laughs> we get a nice dashboard we get the windshield we get the 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 window the passenger side window josh tried to get down but it got about two inches before that was know, at the, four the uh, 14 minute mark <laughs> <laughs> managed to hold it down for two minutes <laughs> That was an interesting time uh, for anger management, I think. <laughs> Your personal truck also, we had no logo, let alone signage or stickers or magnets. And so the cops kept showing up thinking we were like illegal scrappers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so we, we had gotten the cops called on us to where it became, I think, just a regular ordeal. Hello, officer. Yeah. <laughs> How are you today? Yeah. You come by to see me today? <laughs> yeah, almost on a first-name basis there. It's not so shocking that you see an unmarked truck with people not in uniforms. Josh did always love a challenge uh, and, and never turned one down, pretty much, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Again, you are correct. Worse. And so I think you were trying to demolish drywall with your forehead. Tell us how that went. Pretty good to hit the stud. <laughs> Straight into a stud. Yeah, uh, you, had, you had 24 inches that you, you had to work with, and you picked you pick the wrong the wrong area. You're not wrong. You know, I, I remember I, I remember the first deconstruction project, too. I also remember the first sledgehammer, crowbar, and stud puller we broke. How about one of the first times where you got to understand the limits of your strength? You remember that? In one of the houses where there was a certain bay window? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you were once again challenged that you were going to move by yourself? That thing was heavy. Do you remember that, Brandon? I, I remember a, a workers' comp claim. Well, that, that's exactly what, what came out of it. We took it as a learning experience. <laughs> that's the beginning of Coldfield. That, that's the start of things. So then we, um, we took on a deconstruction job in a couple counties over in the town of Durban. And uh, Larry, this is where you enter the scene. And we needed some help. We, we, since it was out of town, we wanted to reduce our travel costs, our lodging costs. We just want to go get the job done, get in, get out reclaim as much as we could we learned we had a lot of follies on the durbin job as well uh listen to our first podcast with andy who was another one of our first crew members and you can learn about that but larry you had a injury on the job i don't know if you remember this i remember it well i remember it well tell us tell uh, us what happened we got up early one morning to get the job day started we was all eager to get started on our progress or on the job and I'm always one that if I see something in the floor, you reach down, pick it up, and get rid of it rather than just kicking it, okay? So there was a piece of scrap leather laying in the floor as we walked into the house. And I just, right off the bat, pick it up off the floor and sling it out the window. And where I slung it out the window, there was a head of a nail sticking out the window. So Chase and I are trying not to pass out yep. at, at this. And so I'm like, all right, we got to find it in urgent care. 
which we're in a very rural area, so this is 30 minutes away. Yeah. So your proposal was you literally just wanted to spit in some mud and I, rub it I in there. I literally just went down out on the grass, okay, and wiped it off. And I said, go get me some super glue, and I'll glue it together. And, and I said, absolutely clean. not. And we went to the urgent care instead. They wouldn't let me do it the hillbilly way. <laughs> <laughs> he fixed it all back up. No scar, no nothing. Larry, tell us a little bit about your life before Coalfield Development. I was a diesel mechanic for a long time. I'd gotten hurt. Working on coal trucks mostly? Well, yeah, in Coalfield. I, I, as far as my calling was to be a mechanic of some kind. I was an auto mechanic for a long time. I come back to West Virginia, started being a diesel mechanic. After I got my back hurt twice, they wouldn't let me do that no more. I was sitting at the house when Andy come and told me, Dad, Brandon wanted you to come and work with us. Tell us where the nickname Doodah comes from. The guy that I went to work for in Fort Gay, after I come back from North Carolina, I went to work for him in the diesel mechanic. I'd grown up with him through all my younger life, you know, going to school. He was just an ordinary guy, you know, but he had developed into making his own coal truck business. And I would got the opportunity to come back to West Virginia from North Carolina, well, I went out there and got married and raised two boys. Decided I had enough North Carolina, and I was coming back to the house. Once I come back, I went to work for Bob, and he realized that no matter what was broke down, I could go up the road and bring that truck down the creek. Dwindled from doo-doo to doo-dah. They wasn't nothing do that I could not do yep. as far as making a truck come down the creek. It made me proud that you know, he it's depended on me. Because a record bill is expensive for a coal truck. And if you could go up the road and take however many hours it would take, just put your heart into it and say, hey, we're going to go down the creek with it or without it. But you're going down. Something I took to heart. So we finished the Durbin job and we had another deconstruction. We were starting to make a name for ourselves in deconstruction. Uh, there's a building in Huntington near the river. Tell us about who was buying the product that we were reclaiming so yeah that project was it was an old warehouse that was just a shell of a building at that time the last use of it was a scrapyard it was over near marshall university so developers were trying to make use of the land hopefully sell it off to marshall for a chunk of change because it's it's really what they perceived as was a real valuable real estate well i think you know things were going a little slower for them than what they expected so they at least needed to take care of the building and take care of the site before they could get some real value out of it. So got connected with Brandon, heard about our deconstruction efforts and just a real gorgeous building. There was some tongue and groove flooring that we we're going after. And uh, we found out later was some really nice subflooring. Like our buyer was based out of Brooklyn, if I remember correctly. Right. So yeah, one of our first buyers, uh, it was just a highly sought after look that our buyer was going after that um, he could take some reclaimed materials and put it in these high-class bars and restaurants to be able to repurpose exactly how it is. That was our buyer for that project. And just to say, I mean, I was always, at least at that time, confused as to what it was or what the look that they were going for. And I Weird remember- industry. Right. I remember being in the Erlings building. I, I'm separate a little bit, but there was a tongue and groove wall that was like lime green, pink, and like brown it all put back together that way and yeah and i was i was talking to him saying like what is it like what's the finished product that like you're looking for and he took me into one of those rooms and he pointed at the wall and he was like if you can take that wall exactly how it is and just put it in a bar 
that's what they're going for. And, and so like now, like seeing all of how this looks in like modern construction, like I, I get it. But at that time, it was just uh, odd to me. So anyway, this had had some real great lumber in it that could be used for be refinished and look new or it could be used as a reclaimed look. And so that that word reclaim and you came up with this term reclaim Appalachia at sort of a brainstorming session. What that really meant to me when we were we were heavily into deconstruction and we were dealing with these buyers and talking about uh, the different uses that they had for the materials, really started to talk to some of the community members that would come to us on these projects and mention how, oh, that's great. You know, we used to do that all the time. It started to just be reminded that it's a foreign concept to be so wasteful. I mean, especially with materials that are perfectly capable of being used in their current form. I mean, and in, in, in the salvage world, it's, it's just 100% salvageable to be reused in its current form. So that, that just got me to think about this is an Appalachian staple that we're around all these Appalachian folks that would speak to how they used to do things like that, or my grandfather did things like that, Re reclaim the Appalachian way of life. Love it. Josh, to your experience as a, as a crew member, what was the hardest part? Leaving. <laughs> I, I have a, a family and it was hard to depart. I have a couple moments in mind. Uh, we did we did become a family and you were working through a lot as a young man, figuring out what you wanted out of life, figuring out who you wanted to be. Sometimes you had some frustration, some anger management issues. And I think one of the best instances of mentorship that I've ever seen during the Erlings renovation project, which was a big, stressful, high stakes construction project, Duda, early in the morning before work, you'd had a very frustrated day the day before, and he left something on your front porch for you to take your aggression. Do you remember this? Yeah. Take it from there. It was a boxing bag. I don't know, just hitting things. In general, helped relieve stress. So he brought me a boxing bag one morning, left it on my porch. <laughs> it was crazy. I used didn't it. say a word. There's no. no conversation about it. But no, uh, I used it for two years. Just a tangible sign that he cared. I uh, thought that was a great example of of mentorship. I also wanted to remember a moment you actually spoke before the West Virginia Legislature. What was that like for you? How did that make you feel to have such a big responsibility? So many people looking at you. Well, I don't know. I mean, I was a talker. I'd talk to anybody about anything. So, and that's what kind of brought up the idea of me going and speaking in front of the legislature. And it was for the Our Children, Our Future campaign, which I think their name has changed at this point. Uh, from my stamp view, it was like, you know, nobody's ever wanted to hear my opinion on anything growing up. And then to go speak in front of somebody and make a difference changed your whole, whole outlook on how people view you. And you famously, you ended your speech with, Tell us how you ended your speech. <laughs> Joe Dirt, life's a garden, dig it. <laughs> and I, I saw legislators years later remembered that. When I think about your graduation, you know, everything we'd been through, and we were all there. We're at Mount West Community Technical College. You earned your associate's degree, I believe, with a 4.0. Very, very high honors. GPA. Very, very uh, high honors. At uh, May 9th of 2014. When I think about you walking across that stage, I, I just get chills. I, I, I want to hear how you remember that, but I know your daughter was there. She was. And Kylie was there. And I feel like the, the generational ramifications of what we do, that our actions today affect not just ourselves and not just people around us today, but future generations. The courage that it took for you to overcome everything it took to overcome, to walk across that stage, I, I get chills still to this day. You said you remember the date. The last day I worked for Goldfield. 
<laughs> and then we said, all right, you got to go start your career now. Yeah. I was the first person out of my family, my mom, my dad, my grandparents to go to college, to get a higher education. Coldfield really gave me that opportunity to be able to do that because, I mean, with a, with a new family, it's hard to do. As of now, my family has grown from one child to three stepchildren and two biological children. Yeah, eight, seven, seven, four, and eight months old. Four girls and, and one boy. A, a good job you're able to provide. Yeah, yeah, I work at uh, currently work at Western Regional Jail. I'm a correctional officer. I've been there for two years. You know how proud I am of you. You know that I love you. It's good to see you, and uh, I, I just look forward to staying in touch and seeing your family grow and and prosper. And it's so fun to have you come back. Thank you for the opportunity to be in here. I've enjoyed it. I'm, all of us being back together. How long has it been since we've been able to get together and talk? Too long. You know, it's been a long time, but bring back a lot of old memories. We can sit here and talk all night, I'm sure. I'm very proud of Josh. We're going to go all the way to the top. There ain't nothing going to stop us now. Remarkable 10 years to look back on it and look at where we come from. I'm just sitting here when we was talking about him graduating. How many of them, if I graduated out, I don't know how many of them they've been. Pushing 300 new jobs well, created Well, that's what total. I'm saying. You know, they've been a lot of kids that we, as a crew, have helped out. Amen. Yep. Reminiscing about all these stories is just... I think I'm reminded of something that it just paints a picture of some of the awesome and scary and, and just great times that we all had together. And just thinking about how Dudaw came with, you know, to work for us and the story that that was. And I mean, Josh, from the very beginning, I mean, Hugh Roberts, you were one of the solids that he recommended. I mean, you, you, you and Andy both top recommendations of, of being in our first crew and how great it was for us to start off the way that we did with the crew that we had. And, you know, for what we're doing now, just thinking about the early years of Coalfield, like, you know, when you graduated, I think that was the first time that I and I, I think Brandon like kind of took this collective breath to say like, like, this is going to work. Yeah. You know, this is, we got to see real tangible long-term evidence of what we were working really hard every day to make happen. Just what a proud moment to be able to share with you and your graduation and see your family there. And dude, all like when you were talking about the story about how you got that name, told us that was your nickname and just kind of nodded and went on. But I mean, you live up to it. So, I mean, you really can do it all. You, you, you come up with some of the most innovative strategies and fixes that I've ever seen in my entire life. Gumption Grit and Grace is a podcast by Coalfield Development produced at the West Edge Factory in Huntington, West Virginia. This episode was hosted by myself, Brandon Dennison, and was produced and edited by JJN Multimedia. Special thanks to our guests this week, Josh Knapper, Larry Endicott, and Chase Thomas. Become a part of our mission to rebuild the Appalachian economy from the ground up by going to our website, coalfield-development.org. Please consider making a donation to advance our mission. You can email us anytime at info at coalfield-development.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn as well. Check back every two weeks for new episodes and learn how we're rebuilding the Appalachian economy from the ground up. Thank you.